been asked to give my testimony about uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Am I on, guys? Okay. It was in 1969 that I repented of my sins and surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. Soon after that, I was called a part-time music and youth pastor in a small church near my hometown, and I served other churches in a similar capacity throughout my college and seminary years. It was in 1975 that a friend and fellow pastor invited me to attend a conference in Chattanooga, Tennessee to hear Pastor Jack Taylor speak. I was told that he had just published a book called The Key to Triumphant Living, which sounded interesting to me because I wasn't experiencing much triumph in my living. I didn't know who this man was, but my friend assured me that it would be worth my time, which was quite an understatement. The first night he spoke on the necessity of being filled with the Holy Spirit, which is actually a foreign concept to me, even as a pastor. I'd always believed that there was a Holy Spirit, but the idea of being continually filled with him was odd to me and not a little bit scary. You see, I'd seen people on TV doing some really weird and silly stuff in reference to the Holy Spirit, and I wasn't at all sure I wanted to be associated with that crowd. However, there was nothing strange about what Dr. Taylor said and spoke about, and it made sense to me. He taught that the Holy Spirit was actually the agent of salvation and that he came to take residence in me when I trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior. He taught that it was the Holy Spirit who brought about the change that I had experienced happen in my life and that I had two choices. I could live in the power of the Holy Spirit, or I could live in the power of the flesh. He directed us to the fifth chapter of Ephesians, which reads, beginning in verse 18, And do not get drunk with wine, in which there is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. He said that a literal rendering of that verse in the Greek would read, Always be being filled. He told us that this is the norm for the Christian life. Again, a new concept to me. From Galatians, he also contrasted life in the Spirit with life in the flesh. Galatians 5, verses, verse 17 begins, For the desire of the flesh is against the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another in order to keep you from doing what you want. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are, and by the way, he was writing to believers at the church at Galatia. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostility, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I realized from that night that I had for many years been trying to live life and actually do ministry in my own strength rather than in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
except for a few relapses, I have endeavored for the past 45 years to rely on the Holy Spirit every day to produce power for my life and ministry. And I've also discovered to be true what Galatians 5.16 promises, that if I walk by the Spirit, I will not carry out the desires of the flesh. In other words, I will have the power to resist temptation. And I'm experiencing ever-increasing fruit of the Spirit of God. I ask God on a daily basis, and sometimes all during the day, to fill and empower me. And it's become a way of life. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you for your ministry here. All right. Good morning, everybody. Y'all ready? All right. Children ages three years through fifth grade that wish to go to children's church, you're dismissed out that door. The rest of you take out the notes that are on the back of the flyer and turn to the book of Haggai and the book of Luke. The book of Haggai is one of the last books of the Old Testament and the Gospel of Luke. Put your finger there. If you're watching online, the notes are available on our app. I was so encouraged last night. I got a messenger message um, from somebody in Africa saying they can't wait for this message today. So uh, it's encouraging to see what God is doing and people watching online, even in other countries. And um, I'll tell you what, I, 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 don't, I don't believe there's a more important message for Christians than what you're going to hear today. I really don't believe there's any more important message than what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What it means to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, anointed with the Holy Spirit living in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so when I was reading in the book of Haggai, the section that we are at today, it's so cool because there's a little phrase that just jumped off the page, and I felt the Lord saying, go here. And so we're going to start in Haggai, and then we're going to leave. That's the launching pad today for a message on the Holy Spirit. So stand, please, in honor of God's Word. Make a few comments as we read the section that we're dealing with today. And then we will uh, take the rocket to the moon and learn about the Holy Spirit today. This is just a launching pad. Haggai 1 is the launching pad for the Apollo that's going to go to other countries and, and other uh, planets today. All right, you with me? Now let me remind you the context. Haggai is written in 520 B.C. 50,000 Jews had returned to Jerusalem under the instruction of God to rebuild the temple. They, they rebuilt the foundation. They rebuilt the altar and then they got negligent and selfish, and they began to work on their own houses at the neglect of the house of the Lord. And so for 16 years, they had done nothing on the temple, and now God is raising up Haggai to confront them about this, and we got good news today. They obeyed. That's really good. It's really good when God's people obey him. And when they obey him, they get blessed, and he comes in with his presence in a new way. So in verse 12, Haggai 1, verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shatiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people. Stop right there. There's always a remnant. A remnant is the smaller version of the big version. It's, the, it's those who really got serious about God. There's, there's the people of Israel, and there's the remnant. There's Christians, and there's spirit-filled Christians. And so I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of the remnant. The remnant or people who press into God and experience God in all of His fullness and in all of His power. So to the, all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. Let's give Israel a hand clap today. They obeyed. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of times they don't. Here they did, and we just celebrate that for a moment. 
and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. Now, it's interesting too to note here that this, this shows that God is patient. Sixteen years they had been negligent and God did not discard them. God did not say, I'm forever done with you. You know, now this is not license to sin or be passive or to be negligent in your walk with God. But it is also to say, wherever you are today, today's the first day of the rest of your life. Because when they obeyed, then the blessings kicked in. I'm so glad he's a God of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance, aren't you? It's called grace. <laughs> and then it says, and the people feared the Lord. This is important because it shows a respect for God. To fear the Lord, and that's the beginning of wisdom. I want to do a series on the fear of the Lord, but it's an important concept. It's knowing God accurately and reverentially trusting Him. It's a reverential respect of God. He's not the big man upstairs. Anybody that says that doesn't fear the Lord. But when you have a relationship with God, you're not afraid of Him. But you still fear Him because you reverentially trust Him. So they feared the Lord, and then it says in verse 13, then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. Wow. Isn't that good news? They obeyed, and then it says, I'm with you. This is the presence of God. The most often used phrase by Jesus to counter fear is, I fear not, for I am with you. A lot of fear in the world today. And in our discussion on the Holy Spirit today, this would be the New Testament equivalent of the indwelling presence of the Spirit. But there's more. Verse 14. And the Lord, watch this, stirred up. Look here. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. Are you going to be a part of the remnant today? And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. The stirring of the Spirit led to the work of God. We cannot do the work of God without the stirring of the Spirit. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray you'd anoint this time. God, I pray for understanding. I pray for revelation. And I pray for transformation for your glory. Lord, let the light come on in our hearts and minds and spirits today. Even those who've heard this before, others that are hearing it for the first time, those watching online, God, we ask in the name of Jesus and for His glory that the light bulb of revelation would be turned on by you today and that we would want this, experience this, and walk in this as never before. God, I want it for my life. I want to come before you today as if I've never heard this before, as if I have no clue of even who the Holy Spirit is. God, come in a fresh, real, powerful way, anoint us, baptize us, fill us for your glory and for our good in Jesus' name and all who agreed said, amen. You can be seated. So Today I want to talk to you about the Holy Spirit as we continue our series on Haggai. Our new title in this series is Shaken to Awaken. God will shake us to awaken us. I believe God is shaking America right now to awaken America. I believe God is shaking the world right now to awaken the world. He shook these people, and we've talked about that in weeks previous, to awaken them into obedience and into the Spirit-filled life. God may be shaking some of you right now. Maybe you're listening, you're watching, and 
and there's things happening in your life that are shaking you, and it's God at work to bring you to the end of yourself that you might be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because until we realize we can't do it on our own, we'll never be filled. The key to being filled is realize, apart from Christ, I can do nothing. Until you and I get to the place where we realize, I can't do this apart from God, but God can do it in me and through me, then you begin to experience what it means to be filled with the Spirit. But if you think you can do it on your own, you'll never be filled with the Spirit. When I hear a Christian say, I'm trying hard to be a good Christian, I know they don't understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It's not about trying hard. It's not about living up to a bunch of rules. It's not about trying to be more disciplined. It's about allowing the Holy Spirit to fill and control and empower your life. Beloved, we need the Holy Spirit. We cannot live the Christian life apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot be victorious over sin without the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot overcome temptation without the power of the Holy Spirit. Husbands, you cannot love your wife as Christ loves the church without the power of the Holy Spirit. Wives, you cannot submit to your husbands as unto the Lord without the power of the Holy Spirit. Bosses, you cannot lead in your company effectively without the power of the Holy Spirit. Employee, you cannot be a Spirit-filled employee without the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot witness effectively without the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot see the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience without the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do anything eternally productive without the power of the Holy Spirit. John 15, 5, apart from me you can do nothing. Do you believe that? Because the belief, the realization that apart from me you can do nothing can be the very thing that catapults you into being filled with the Spirit. Because without Him you can do nothing, but through Him you can do all things. <laughs> Apart from Him you can do nothing, John 15, 5. But Philippians 4, 13, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Living in that balance is the key to being filled with the Holy Spirit. Apart from Him you can do nothing on your own, but you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. How does he strengthen you? By the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't cast out demons without the power of the Holy Spirit. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We can do nothing in the Christian life effectively without his power and his presence. Now, beloved, this is why Jesus said in Luke 24. Picture this. The disciples had been with him for three years. They had heard him teach. They had seen his miracles. They, they, they saw him crucified, risen from the dead, and he's about to ascend back to heaven. And what does he say to his disciples? Wait until you're filled with the Spirit. Don't even try to start doing all these things I've talked to you about. Don't even try to start evangelizing the world until you get the power of the Holy Spirit. And they waited. And on that day of Pentecost, they were filled and empowered, and they turned the world upside down. Or as some say, right side up. <laughs> This is why Billy Graham in 1948, the Los Angeles crusade, said this. I believe the greatest need for the church of Jesus Christ is that everybody who professes the name of Christ be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is why Dr. Bill Bright, founder and president of Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew, said if he had the opportunity to share with a non-Christian the gospel or a Christian the spirit-filled life, he only had one more person to share with before he died. He would share with the Christian how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is why Dwight L. Moody had those three little ladies in his church that came up to him. 
Dr. Moody, we're praying that you get filled with the Holy Ghost. And he dismissed them for the longest of time. And then God got a hold of him and began to stir up in him the Holy Spirit. And he said his life and his ministry was never the same. So we're going to go very basic today and we're going to move from this. By the way, one of the reasons that I'm going to use some illustrations I've used before, I'm coming out with every, everything I got today. The best illustrations, the best props. Some of you have seen it before, that's fine. You need to see it again. You need to taste it again for the first time. Hello. And then there's so many that are new. Do you realize that since we reopened in June, a third of the people attending this church now are completely new since we reopened? Last Sunday... Last Sunday, we had 400 people total in the two services. And we, we estimate at least 100 of those are new since we reopened. I would say to every pastor who hasn't reopened his church yet, and I don't care how big your church is, I understand the mega churches and all the challenges you have. But I will say this, if you have not reopened, you are missing a golden opportunity to minister to new people. You'll have your regulars who aren't comfortable coming back. That's fine and dandy. That's between them and the Lord. But there will be new people that will come because they're hungry for truth, they're hungry for God, and they're lonely, and they want to be in community. So let's begin. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's the third person of the Holy Trinity. Equal in deity, but distinct in ministry from the Father and the Son. He is the presence and the power of God. He's called the dunamis, which we get the word dynamite, power. So in a nutshell, I would define the, the, the Holy Spirit as the third person, not an it, a person, and he can be offended. A person has feelings. This is why Ephesians 4 says, do not quench or offend the Holy Spirit. When you sin, you quench the Spirit. When you live out of the flesh, you, you quench the Holy Spirit. You offend Him. He, it says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. When you grieve, you miss someone's presence. My mother died two years ago. I still grieve her death. I miss her. When we don't live in the power and presence of the Spirit, we grieve the Holy Spirit. It's not that He's mad at you. It's more that He's sad. <laughs> now, sometimes He's mad. Anger of the Lord. But usually it's more the sad. He wants your fellowship. He wants your closeness. You're not living as He created you to live. So he's the presence and the power of God. Number two, what is the work and ministry of the Spirit? Oh, there's so many ways he works and ministers. I don't know about you today. I'm so glad and thankful for the Holy Spirit. You know, God could have said, I save you, I forgive you, you're going to heaven, but then do the best you can. <laughs> he didn't do that. He said, I save you, I forgive you, I accept you, you're going to heaven, but in the meantime, I'm going to actually come and live inside of you. Wow! What a plan by God. Only God could think this up. Only God could pull this off. And we get to get in on it. Wow. So some of the ministries of the Spirit. He convicts of sin to lead you to the new birth. Because it says in John 3, unless you're born again, born of water and the Spirit. Then once you get saved, He comes to convict you of righteousness, John 16. To convince you that you are righteous and holy in His sight. Mm. Then he comes and he convinces you of judgment that the ruler of this world has been judged, John 16. In other words, he convinces you, you're on the winning team, Satan's defeated, you have authority over him because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. He does more than that. 
He comes to work in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Philippians 2.13. So he gives you the motivation and the power to do the will of God. 2 Corinthians 3 and 18 says, As we behold the glory of God, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next by his spirit. So another way he works is to transform you from the inside out. He changes you. He renews you. He makes you like Jesus, and it's an inward work. Beloved, this is called the exchange life. Exchanging your life for his. Instead of living out of your flesh, doing the best you can, trying hard in your own effort, you exchange that for his life, his presence, his spirit, so that he lives in you and through you. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me and loves me. He's the one that produces the fruit, Galatians 5, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and so forth. He's the one that gives you gifts for service. The gift of leadership, the gift of mercy, the gift of exhortation, the gift of words of knowledge and words of wisdom and tongues and prophecy and healing. God is a distributor of gifts through the indwelling Holy Spirit. He's the one that empowers our witness. Acts 1 and 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. So he empowers our witness, he motivates our obedience, he convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment, he speaks to us in that still, small voice, he leads, he guides, he directs, he is the wonderful Holy Spirit. He gives dreams, he gives visions, he gives prophecy. He comes to glorify Jesus, he comes to empower our worship. John 4 and 24 says, worship in spirit and in truth. Not just truth, not just spirit, but spirit and truth. That's why we seek to be a word and spirit church. Word-rooted, spirit-empowered. So here's a summary. To supernaturally live in us and through us. That pretty much summarizes it, doesn't it? What is the work of the Holy Spirit? To live in us and live through us for the glory of Jesus. Now, one way to visualize this is, is the three circles, spirit, soul, body. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it talks about, may you be sanctified in, in all of your spirit, soul, and body. The spirit could also be our heart. We're to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. There it is. So, what it means in, 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 in Haggai 1, verse 14, I want you to look at that again, circle it, underline it, highlight it. The Lord stirred up the Spirit. So look at that next slide. See? It's, it's what is in you being stirred up so that it's expressed out of you. Okay? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I'm so thankful for Him. I don't know what we do without Him. And so many Christians are ignorant of this teaching. Churches today are afraid to talk about it because they don't want to get into anything weird. I don't know what the problem is. Why would Francis Chan have to write a book called The Forgotten God? That's about the Holy Spirit. He's saying we've forgotten the third member of the Trinity. We've neglected him. We've ignored him. We're afraid of him. What's the problem? He is God. He is the third person of the Godhead. Let's welcome him in all his fullness. Why would we not want what God has? 
either due to fear or misunderstanding or an overreaction to abuse. So, since this is the Sunday before Christmas, don't want you to feel like we've overlooked Christmas. So, I said, well, I'm going to work this right into the message. So, now turn to the Gospel of Luke. And I want to show you real quickly how the Holy Spirit shows up all over the place in Jesus' birth. (laughs) I mean, it's just amazing. Holy Ghost is everywhere. So, in Luke chapter 1, verse 15, it's talking about John the Baptist. Now, I don't understand this, folks. But it's in the Word of God. Luke 1.15, He will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Wouldn't you like it if that could happen for everybody? Man, every parent right now. Where, Bethany, is she here? I bet she could just rub. Did y'all see her last week? It was awesome. Bethany Walker's up here leading worship, and she's just going like this the whole time with her baby in the womb. It was just awesome. I'm like, this is Christmas right here, man. This, and, and so, you know, Bethany, you can just pray that your baby's just filled with the Holy Spirit, even in your womb. God can do that, right? All right, so then go to chapter 1, verse 35. This is referring to Mary and how she's going to be impregnated by God to give birth to Jesus. You know why the virgin birth is so important? Because had Jesus received the seed of Joseph, he would have received a sin nature. Because Romans says that it's through the seed of the man. Women, don't take advantage of this now teaching, but this is just doctrine, okay? So it's through the seed of the man that the sin nature comes. So we, all are, we are all born sinful because of that. So to bypass that, this is awesome. God impregnated her through the Holy Spirit so he wouldn't get a sin nature. He'd be the sinless sacrifice. And yet born human through Mary so he could be fully God, fully man to be our full Savior. Mm. So here it says, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power, dunamis, of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. See that? Every word is so important. There's no mistake in all of God's word. The Son of God. Boy, that's rich. Let's see, one verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 41. Now, this is referring to Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. Now, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Holy Spirit's showing up all over the place. This is awesome. Then, in chapter 1, verse 67, Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist. It says, and his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, and then he gave a scripture. That's how scripture's written. Somebody gets anointed, filled, they write something, and it's of God, the inspiration of scripture. So Zechariah. Then, chapter 1, verse 80, and the child grew, that's John the Baptist, became strong in what? Spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of Jesus' public appearance. Then chapter 2, verse 25. Chapter 2, verse 25, the very last phrase. This is Jesus is presented at the temple to Simeon. It says the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him, this is to Simeon, by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. Holy Spirit's just showing up everywhere we go. Then chapter 3. John the Baptist is going to proclaim that Jesus is now ready to begin his public ministry. Chapter 3, verse 16. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water. Chapter 3, verse 16. There's another 316. We talked about it. Isn't that just cool? This has happened how many times in the last few weeks? All the 316s of the Bible. Somebody should write a book on that. Maybe I will. 
But you start with John 3.16, God so loved the world. And then you go to other 3.16s, and it's like, man, the gospel just shows up over and over and over on 3.16. John answered them, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He, listen, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Chapter 3, verse 22, and the Holy Spirit, this is when Jesus was baptized, descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Then in chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Beloved, if Jesus needed the filling of the Holy Spirit, how much more do we? If Jesus needed to minister in, through, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, how much more do we? So that sum of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, how is he involved in the role of Jesus' birth all over the place? Number four, when do you receive the Holy Spirit? Who can give me the answer to that? At new birth. At salvation. Listen, listen. Ephesians 1.13. And having believed, you were sealed with the Spirit until the day of redemption. Romans 8. Listen. If you have not the Spirit, you have not Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.16, the moment you're saved, your spirit becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. So back to our three circles. That's before salvation and your spirit is dead. Now you get saved. Watch that inner circle. Holy Spirit comes right there. The moment you receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, you repent of your sins, put your faith and trust in Christ alone, the Holy Spirit comes to, listen, indwell you. This is important. He becomes, he takes up his residence. Picture your home. You open the front door, you invite somebody in. They they, they take up residence. But it doesn't mean they're president. You can be resident and not be president. You can be resident in a home, but not have the freedom. Oh, I want to change these wall colors. I'm going to paint this room. I'm going to rearrange this room. Oh, I go into the library. Whoa, there's something on the shelf there you ought not be listening to. You ought not be looking at. Hey, how about we take this off? Oh, your TV. Yo, you're looking at stuff that is not godly. Let's turn that off or let's turn the channel or let's replace this book with this book. Then you're president. See the difference? All Christians have the Holy Spirit resident in their life, but not all Christians allow the Holy Spirit to be president and their lives, what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So watch this. When you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, so this milk represents your inner man, your inner woman, your heart, your spirit, that, that's right there, that inner circle, that that heart. The chocolate represents the Holy Spirit. When you get saved, here's what happens. You become indwelt with the Holy Spirit. You get all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. The question is not how much of the Holy Spirit you have because you get all of Him. The question is how much of you the Holy Spirit gets. (laughs) The question is never how much of the Holy Spirit do you get. The question is, how much of you does the Holy Spirit get? And the more of you the Holy Spirit gets, the more filled you are. The more empowered you are. Now, if if I don't do anything to this, that chocolate syrup is in the glass, but it isn't doing anything. Hello? 
Now, regardless, it, can, can I do anything to make that chocolate leave the milk? No. And I had a guy come up to me after first service. He said, today I had a light come on, a revelation. He said, I always thought that when I quenched the Spirit, I lost my salvation. I said, no, you did not. If you're truly saved, Ephesians 1.13, you are sealed until the day of redemption. That means going to heaven. Now, you can quench the Spirit, you can grieve the Spirit, and that's Ephesians 4.30. But even in Ephesians 4.30, when he says, don't grieve the Spirit, he says, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So even in chapter 4, he reminds them, even if you grieve him, he doesn't leave. Praise God. You can't get that chocolate syrup out of that milk. But we don't want it to stay settled. So what it means to be filled with the Spirit is this. And here's our Haggai 1, 14. Stir it up. I could not not do this illustration today because it's in the very scriptures. Stir it up. He stirred up their spirit. We need to stir up the Holy Spirit who's within us. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It means to be controlled and empowered. So where do you get those two words? I get those two words from Ephesians 5 verse 18. Listen closely. Jimmy referred to it in his testimony. Don't be drunk with wine, which leads to wild living. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why in the world? See, this is where meditation gives you insight. You come to a passage like that and you go, I don't think he was just coming against drunkenness because he had done that previous in the chapter. There's got to be something that with drunkenness that parallels with being filled with the Spirit. So you start meditating on that. When a person is drunk, they are controlled and empowered by the alcohol. I've known the most shy, introverted people. When they are intoxicated, they get on the table in the bar and they do the weirdest stuff you've ever seen. And you're going, who is that? It's because the alcohol is controlling and empowering them. When a person gets arrested, we call it a DUI. Why? With driving under the... The alcohol is influencing them. Right? In the same way that a person is controlled and empowered by alcohol when drunk, we are to be controlled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. See? So that's the best way to think of the filling of the Spirit. To be controlled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the chocolate is stirred up, Haggai 1.14, in order to affect the entire glass of milk. And the degree to which I keep this stirred up is the degree to which the chocolate will affect the milk. If I stop stirring it, does it leave? No, but it'll settle down. Because I have grieved the Holy Spirit. I have quenched the Holy Spirit. Through sin, through disobedience, through unbelief, through passivity, through just living out of the flesh, whatever. It doesn't have to be bad things, oh, clear, oh, you know, overt sins. It can just be passivity, neglect. So the guy comes in your house, but you neglect talking to him and fellowshipping with him and saying, hey, Jesus, where do you think, what, what, what should we do with this room? <laughs> you see, that's keeping him stirred up and allowing him to go from room to room to room and have his way. But if I ignore him, if I do my own thing and I say, hey, Jesus, good to have you here, see you later, and, and we never have fellowship, I don't allow him to do what he wants to do in my house, then he is merely resident but not president. So again, back to our circles. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to be stirred up and to affect all areas of our lives. Filling of the Spirit is stirring up 
of that chocolate so that it affects the entire glass. Now, we're going to have to dim the lights for you to see this, but before we do that, let me just bring your attention here. Guy gave me this recently and said, here's another opportunity for you to illustrate the Holy Spirit. I love this. Watch. Now, this light is plugged into a power source. So it's saved in our illustration. It's plugged in. The power is available. That cord is on. But is anything happening here? No. But watch this. And we're going to have to dim the lights to show you this. Look what happens when I turn the switch on. Now the power is allowed to flow and come in it and out of it and just have its will and way and to affect every aspect of this bulb. This is what it means to be filled. See, when I quench the Spirit, He doesn't leave. I don't lose my salvation. But I'm not tapping into His power. I'm not allowing Him to be stirred up. But now I allow the power that is flowing to operate in it and through it. And beloved, this is a daily thing. Jimmy nailed it when he gave the exact Greek rendering of Ephesians 5.18. Be ye continually filled with the Holy Spirit. I recently looked this up to confirm that it was a true story, and it is. In the 1920s and 30s, there was a couple in Texas named Ira and Ann Yates. They had a huge piece of property, but they were basically living in poverty. During the Depression, or right before the Depression, and they were pretty much just living hand-to-mouth, living off the land. But they had this large portion of land. One day, a seismographic crew, an oil company, said, we have reason to believe, Mr. and Mrs. Yates, that there could be oil on your property. Would you give us permission to drill? And if we hit oil, you get half, we get half. They had nothing to lose. They said, yes, listen. At 992 feet, they hit oil. And today, it is still one of the most active oil wells in all of Texas. 450 barrels a day. Now, the minute, the moment, the Yates bought that property, they acquired all the mineral rights to that land. But they didn't know what was in them, and they didn't know how to tap into it. And I submit to you, that's like a lot of Christians today. They have within them the very power that raised Jesus from the dead. They have the life of God within them. They're a temple of the Holy Spirit. But they are failing to tap into that power. And they are living in spiritual poverty when 450 barrels of power in the Holy Ghost is available to them every day. Oh, God, that we might tap in. Oh, God, that we might drill. That we go as deep as necessary to hit that oil well so that your life comes in us and through us. Now, I don't know how many of you are aware of what an electric bicycle is. These are really cool. I wish I had one. If somebody wants to bless their pastor, I think these things are like two or $3,000. I had one experience on an electric bicycle. I went and visited Matt McPherson in Wisconsin. We spent three days together in a spiritual retreat. He had two of these. We went 50 miles. It was incredible. Now, the cool thing about these is if you want exercise and you want to pedal, go for it. Don't turn it on. It's all you, man. I mean, it's pedal. Have fun. Get tired. But eventually, you're going to hit a hill that you can't get up. And you can pedal until you're exhausted. And that's a lot of Christians today. But the cool thing about an electric bicycle is that it has a motor. And this one's fully charged. And if you choose to tap in to the power that's available to you, you have access to that. There's a bunch of different settings. 
One is, and this is the one I'm going to use. Get your cameras ready. If you want to film this, it could go viral. Um, the, The setting that I like the most is the one that once it senses you starting to pedal, it kicks in a little extra power. Now, you can also go to the setting where it's all right here, and then it's like a little moped or something. And you don't have to do a thing, man. You can just, you know, like a motorcycle. But I think the one that illustrates this principle of being filled with the Spirit the most is the one that as I pedal, as I stir up the Spirit, as I obey, as I ask God to fill me, as I read the Word, as I am in fellowship with others, and all those things that part of the Christian life, then if I do it, depending on Him, His power kicks in. Y'all ready for this? These things are really cool. I have it on one. This thing will go like 30 miles an hour. If you put, okay, Earl, you need to clear that area right there because I'm coming right at you. Clear, clear my perimeter, please. Perimeter cleared. Security in the back. Stoddard, is the perimeter cleared? All right, this is cool. Y'all ready? So I start pedaling and watch. Look at that. Isn't that cool? Start to pedal. Boom. This is just one, you guys. Ready? Start pedaling. Look at that. Whoa, baby, I got to put some brakes on. I think we'll do this one more time. What do y'all think? I'm going to make a sharp one by you, Leola. Look, as soon as I pedal, it just kicks in. So we have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. You can pedal your Christian life all you want on your own, but you forfeit the power that God has made available to you. I have never done this in 35 years of pastoring, and this will probably be the last. One more time, just across the front. Look at that. Here we go, Jonathan. All right. Thank you. So you have, here it is. This is the Holy Spirit. Okay? This is you cooperating with him. The pedaling, you cooperating with him. And he wants this to be a partnership, you guys. God took up residence in us. He says you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Because God is always about partnership. Some things God does completely on his own, like creating the universe. Hello, he didn't need us. He didn't partner with us. Now, the the Trinity partnered together. Let us make man in our image, plural. Father, Son, Holy Spirit created the universe and man. They were a partner with one another. Then God says, I want to partner with my humans. I want to partner with my creation. I want to live in and through my people. This is a profound mystery. The God of the universe would take up residence in you and me at salvation and then live through us to do the will of God in partnership. What a privilege! What a privilege. Why would you want to miss anything that he might have for you? So one of our elders this week was praying and just listening to God, and he had this impression. And it might be for some of you. I don't know. I want to help, but they don't seem to need me. You don't make this stuff up. So he's praying. He's just listening. He's praying for our church. It was Ralph Motsinger. 
And he sensed the Lord saying, I want to help, but they don't seem to need me. So finally, and this is huge, so practical, where many of us fall short. How do we get filled and stay filled? I believe there's three keys. Number one, yield. You have to yield to his control. Surrender, yield. If you're in the driver's seat, then he can't work as he wants. So part of this stirring up is you yielding. And listen, every failure and frustration is to show you how much you need the Holy Spirit. When you fail, when you sin, when you fall short, Satan will want to condemn, beat you up, say you're a failure, throw in the towel. But God, like with Paul in the thorn in the flesh, says every failure and frustration is an opportunity to tap into my power in a new way. So it doesn't matter what you've done prior to today. You still qualify to be filled with the Spirit if you yield. Okay, that's important. You talk to these guys in our Fresh Wind ministry, they're learning, they're tapping in, they're experiencing God because they're allowing the failure of their addiction to drive them to God. I said to their little Christmas party yesterday, I said, you guys are some of my biggest heroes. Every time I say that, I see this look, yeah, amen. But I get this look of bewilderment pastor telling us we're some of his biggest heroes. You know, his biggest heroes should be like Billy Graham and, 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 and D.A. Carson and Grudem. And I say, here's why you're some of my biggest heroes. Because it takes a real man to admit he has a problem and get help. And so you're on the verge of God's incredible grace and power because he says he opposes the proud, he gives grace to the humble. So listen, I don't care what your problem is. I don't care what your struggle is. You're beating your wife. You're addicted to some drug. You're, you're just as sexually immoral as, as that guy who had that private island. I don't even want to say his name. You know, God can forgive. And, and the, key, the key is you admitting your problem, your sin, and handing it to God. Not trying to fix it yourself. Not trying to work harder and pedal that bike more. No, it's yielding it to God. Then he forgives and then he comes in with his power and his presence in a way you've never experienced before. It's called the grace of God. Paul killed Christians. Paul killed Christians. He could have lived in that guilt from his past and let it just beat him down, but no, he says, I was the chief of sinners, and by the way, I forget what lies behind. I'm reaching forward to what lies ahead. I love that. I was the chief of sinners. You can't, guys can't put anything on me that probably is any bigger than what I've done. But I came to the cross. I now realize his grace probably more than most of you because of how much I've been forgiven. To him who's forgiven much, loves much. And I'm going to forget what lies behind and I'm going to reach forward to what lies ahead. Because the Holy Spirit can do that. Number two, ask. So simple. Ask. You have not because you ask not. Now look at this verse, Luke eleven thirteen. I'll quote it. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And it's not asking for the Holy Spirit like you don't have Him. If you're saved, it's, it's stirring Him up, asking Him to fill you, asking Him to control you, asking Him to saturate your life. 
Oh, I love this verse. We're almost done. John 7, 37. If anyone is thirsty, I pray you're more thirsty today than ever before for the Holy Spirit. If anyone is thirsty, Jesus said, let him come to me and drink. For I am the river of living water, and from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Of this he spoke of the Spirit. So it's in being hungry and thirsty. Then you ask, you yield and you ask. You say, oh God, I want to be filled. Oh God, I want to be controlled by you. Oh God, have your will and way. Oh God, breathe life into this. Oh God, do your work. Oh God, help me love my wife as Christ loves the church. Oh God, help me be a godly wife. Oh God, help me be a godly student. Oh God, help me be a godly boss. Oh God, help me be a godly employee. Oh God, empower my witness. Oh God, give me revelation in your word. Oh God, in everything I do, fill me, control me, be stirred up in me. You ask. And you don't, look, you don't ask, you don't pray that in there. Oh, if it be your will. Oh, hello, he commands us to be filled. I ask to be filled. I think that's his will. So I can pray with confidence that he'll do it. Yeah, but I didn't feel anything. I didn't fall down and speak in tongues. That's okay. Let God deal with that. Let him be the one who manifests the results of this. Don't try to make something up, counterfeit something, you know, act like the guy you saw over here that got filled. Let him do in you what he wants to do. He may want to manifest something in you and through you that nobody else has ever experienced. Why limit him to their experience? Don't put him in a box. You yield, you ask, let God take it from there where he wants it to go. And don't compare. Comparison is the robber of joy. Yeah, but I didn't speak in tongues. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't fall on the floor when somebody prayed for me. That's okay. Did you yield? Yes. Did you ask? Yes. Then he filled you. <laughs> you're, you're stirring him up right there. And you know, here's the other thing. Sometimes this gets me. People that say, well, back in 1974, I was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. I'm like, great. That's awesome. But you don't treat your wife very well. And you're known to be a kind of a dishonest businessman. And, and you, get, you go down on Friday nights and do things you ought not do. I don't really care what happened in 1974 if it's not affecting you now. Come on. You know, it's R.A. Torrey, the famous R.A. Torrey. He's, somebody asked him once, do you believe in a second experience subsequent to salvation called the baptism of the Holy Spirit? He says, yes. And a third and a fourth and a fifth and hundreds besides. <laughs> Now, if it starts at a moment that you have this boom kind of, great. But the issue, is it, is it affecting you today? Are you filled today? That's what this passage is talking about. It's a daily, moment by moment, encounter with God where He lives His life in you and through you and He empowers you. And you tap in and you yield on a regular basis. You ask on a regular basis. And then finally, you abide. Because it's the same chapter, John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. The rest of John 15 is all about abiding, <laughs> staying connected. How do you abide? Well, and this all stirs him. You abide by being in the Word. You abide by praying. You abide by asking Him daily to fill you. You abide by doing what you're doing right now, being in a, 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 an anointed, spirit-filled service. You abide by being in fellowship with others. You abide by being in a small group. You abide by repenting when you sin. Abiding doesn't mean you're never going to sin. But abiding means when you sin, you're quick to repent. Admit it. 
Abiding means you're humble. Abiding means that you are doing ministry. You're using your gifts. You're getting out of your comfort zone. Because many times it's when we're out of our comfort zone that we realize how much we need God and we tap into His power. Listen, when I go overseas and preach in Africa, I am so out of my comfort zone. And Andy Hines says, David, there's an anointing on you there that I've never seen before. It's because I'm out of my comfort zone and I depend on God at a new level. I pray I do that here just as much. But it's when we get out of our comfort zone, when we use our gifts, when we step out in faith, when we just do his word and we constantly cry out, God, fill me, that then he fills us and empowers us. Worship team, if you'd come on up, please. Oh, beloved, don't you see how wonderful the Holy Spirit is today? Aren't you thankful for the Holy Spirit? Don't you want all that he'd have for you? He's good. He's powerful. He's transformative. And wherever we allow him, he wants to come into our house, go to that room, go to that closet. Quit being embarrassed about that closet. I know it's got some garbage in there and it stinks, but open the door and let him in and let's take it to the garbage dump and let him come and cleanse it and bring others into the house. You can't clean that closet yourself. You need to get the Holy Spirit Mary maids to come in and do some, some real spiritual cleansing and get your brothers and sisters who love you unconditionally. They're not going to judge you. They're not going to look different on you. Matter of fact, they'll look more favorably on you. I tell people that all the time. I was with a couple recently. They're living together. They're not married. I had to confront them about it. And, and, and I said, hey, I just want you to know, because you guys have received my call with such humility, I have a greater respect for you. You don't have to worry. Pastor David's going to think this about us, blah, 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 blah. And they came the next day. I gave them a big old hug. Yeah, because God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. As we humble ourselves, as we yield to him, as we ask, and as we abide, he will fill us. What has the Lord said to you today? What is the Holy Spirit saying? Lord, we love you. We thank you for this Holy Spirit. Have your will and way in this place, in our lives. Oh, it's a joyful surrender when we know you. <laughs> it's a joyful surrender when we know you. We know that your will is good, acceptable, and perfect. All right, I want us to quietly stand, and we're going to pray a prayer together out loud. I'll read it first so you know what we're praying. Get your smartphones out. Take a picture of this prayer. Pray it every day this week. And email me what God does. Here's the prayer. I'll read it through and then if you agree, we'll pray it together. Thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit. I want to be filled with the Spirit. I yield my life to you. Fill me now with your presence and power. Take control of my life. Do in me what you want. Live in me and through me. Help me to abide in you each day. And then I receive whatever you want to give me. He may give you a new gift today. I don't know. It's Christmas. <laughs> God loves to give gifts. I don't presume on the Lord. I don't presume that 
everybody gets this certain gift. I don't let the Lord take care of that. Well, I'll read a sentence, and if you agree, you pray it out loud after me. Thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit. I want to be filled with the Spirit. I yield my life to you. Fill me now with your presence and power. Pray that one one more time. Fill me now with your presence and power. Take control of my life. Do in me what you want. Live into me and through me. Help me to abide in you each day. I receive whatever you want to give me. As we sing this final song, and it's a powerful song, full of great truth. Here's the way we're going to do the response today. I I just invite many of you that want to come to the altar, just kneel and pray. Just in your own heart, cry out to God for the filling of the Spirit. Prayer team, if you'd be available at the corners and the side, please. If you want to get prayer with somebody one-on-one, they're there for that. Then today, I have released our prayer team that if they want to, to come to those that are kneeling. So stay until you have somebody lay their hand on you and pray for you. Nothing weird, just going to be... There is something about laying on of hands. I don't know what it is, but in the Bible it talks about it's like an impartation. So I will go to every person if I can. And prayer team, if you're not praying with somebody, give that a little time. If somebody wants prayer with you, then you can feel free to come and just lay hands on people and pray for them for God's Holy Spirit to come in power. The altar's open. Respond as the Lord leads you.